I went on vacation a couple weeks ago, and uh, sometimes uh, when I go on vacation, I have great grand ideas of how relaxed I'm going to be. And uh, I went on vacation and discovered that uh, all of a sudden in the quiet, when there wasn't all the activity of uh, kind of the normal time, that God began to say some things to me about my life that I wasn't necessarily longing to hear. And uh, sometimes those times where the silence comes uh, can reveal to us some of the darkness of our soul that God longs to speak to. And uh, this song, uh, this is a way that God spoke in that moment to me. So grand 
displayed Well, I want to welcome you if you are in the venue this morning, and I also want to welcome you if you're in this room this morning. And if you don't know that you're in this room this morning, we have issues way beyond what we're going to talk about this morning. So, But I'm grateful you're here, and I hope that you are grateful as well. This morning we get to speak about God is merciful, and uh, this has been an interesting week for me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, whenever I'm getting ready to do something like this where I'm preaching or speaking, it's always fascinating to me how God raises things up in my own life that need attention. This last week, I was on the phone with my wife uh, at 3 o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, she was on her cell phone. I was speaking to her from my office, and all of a sudden, as I was speaking to her, uh, I heard her phone uh, seem to fly out of her hands, and at that moment, I heard her say, I think I've just broken my ankle. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that, uh, other than to ask, are you sure? She said, I think I've just broken my ankle. And so I got in my car and drove home, and there she was on our front porch, uh, completely helpless, unable to move, propped up. Uh, and for some reason, she had walked out of the house and just one of those freak moments. Her ankle turned and twisted under, and she uh, broke her ankle, and we went to the emergency room, and they confirmed that, yes, your ankle is broken. And uh, with that came all sorts of uh, new responsibilities, if nothing else, but a lot of uh, just pain, and my wife has been now for the last four days in, a, in her bed with her leg propped up, and uh, pretty much can't move. And if ever there was a moment that I began to look and realize in my own brokenness and the brokenness around me how much I need the mercy of God, 
I think it was just watching and, and being a part of that moment. We are all people that long for the mercy of God. And so I'm grateful when the psalmist in, in Psalm 145 basically says this, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and great in loving kindness. And so every day of my life, I'm grateful for that phrase, the Lord is merciful. Mercy is one of those qualities that I think that we see throughout history, but we see it longed for. We see people that are in need of mercy. William Shakespeare made this comment in The Merchant of Venice, uh, one of his uh, plays, and uh, a little hard to read uh, Shakespeare at times, but <clears throat> this was amazing. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. The Oxford Dictionary says, Mercy is compassion shown by one to another who is in his power and has no claim to kindness. This morning, we are going to look at the Scriptures, and I'm going to give you a definition of mercy. And you need to understand that when you come to the Scriptures and you look at the word mercy, it is an amazing thing to see the breadth of definition that is there. There is so many different ways that mercy is described and uh, basically portrayed in the Scriptures. So there is a breadth of meaning to this word. But I'm just going to give you kind of our definition for this morning, and it is this. Mercy is kindness shown where punishment is deserved. One of the key translations in the Hebrew of the word mercy is the word Racham. And Racham is basically the word compassion as well as mercy. And its root is this idea of the womb. And it has this sense of something being given birth to. And there is a tenderness that is associated with this idea of mercy. The general idea is that mercy is this inner disposition of compassion and concern for the distressed, the helpless, and the condemned. And it manifests itself in things like reprieve and forgiveness, and especially in help. So as we look at the scriptures this morning, we're going to really try to concentrate on how God expresses mercy. And so this morning, I want to just talk about particularly two ways initially that God expresses mercy. First of all, the mercy of God is displayed immediately after the fall in God's continued care of creation. God expresses his mercy toward the broken, helpless, and hurting of humanity. And the first way you see it is right out of the gate at creation. In creation, you recognize that God has created humanity to have fellowship with him, and then immediately after that, mankind chooses to eat of the fruit of a tree that creates in them that sense of distance, that sense of separation from God. And in that separation, you think this is the end. We may as well start a new story. 
But God instead takes them at that point of their helplessness when they've gone and they've recognized that, yes, we are naked and now we are completely ashamed. And they've tried to cover themselves with the leaves that are surrounding them. And God takes and clothes them with the garments of an animal. And in that place where they try to cover themselves, and that word covering in the King James uh, translation is actually translated apron. And I'm trying to imagine for a moment what it would be like to go out in just an apron and the horror that most of humanity would feel when they were around me. And in that place, we kind of look at that and we realize how inadequate that is. And yet God comes and provides the clothing that covers them adequately. And throughout the Gospels and throughout the history in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there is this sense of God coming and showing mercy and providing to those that have inadequate coverings the adequate clothing that only God can provide. But not only have you seen it in the beginning, but also in the New Testament, mercy is one of those things that shows up. Jesus is walking at one point through a, a town, and it says that there were two blind men, and they were sitting by the side of the road. And as they were sitting there, they cried out and they said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it's interesting to me that the people recognized in the person of Christ the presence of mercy. That where Jesus was, there was mercy. People came to expect that where Jesus was, there was mercy. And so these two men, without seeing Jesus, just hearing he's coming by, cry out for the mercy that comes through him and from him. We see the mercy of God. And we see it every day. Every day provides an opportunity to newly experience God's mercy. And it's the book of Lamentations that has this great verse. It says this, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that, first of all, God's mercies never cease. And secondly, that every morning that you awaken, God is there providing fresh mercy for you to experience and enjoy. Now, I was walking down the stairs yesterday, and uh, I was getting something from my mobility-challenged wife at this point in time, okay? Realize she's got her foot propped up, and there's been a whole new sense of responsibility that's been given to me. I'm... Uh, you know, now the one kind of doing things that I oftentimes would look to her to do. Meals. <laughs> Food on the table. Laundry. Okay? These are very basic kinds of things. And I'm walking down the, the stairs, and I'm, I'm coming down the stairs basically because she says, you know, I, I have to have something to eat. And I'm thinking, I, I need something to eat too. <laughs> Who, God, might provide this? <laughs> and all of a sudden I realize God's saying, it's you. 
And as I'm going down, this thought occurs to me that as tired as I might get or as self-absorbed as I might be, as selfish as I might be, God never tires of showing mercy. Every day, you awaken to this God that says, again, I'm showing up with new mercy for you. Isn't that incredible? That as much as you might think you tire God out, you don't. He's still there, longing to share His mercy with you every day. So we see this sense of the mercy of God around us. We walk through life experiencing it. We are the recipients of God's mercy, oftentimes whether we know it or not. But there is a very specific place, and that God specifically expresses His mercy in the work of salvation. Notice what Paul says in the book of Titus. One of his letters to a young pastor, he says this in Titus chapter 3. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation has nothing to do with the deeds that we have done, but it's all about the mercy that God has shown. First of all, we've got to remember in this whole idea of salvation that we enter life under the wrath of God. That from the fall onwards, we basically carry a nature that says we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve His punishment because we have all been infected by this terrible disease called sin. God longs for us to understand not only His mercy... But mercy makes much better sense when we understand why there is such a deep need for it. We all enter this place under the wrath of God. I love to think of myself entering this game, so to speak. I've got this huge playing field. I love to always think that I've entered midfield. And in entering midfield, there's always that chance that I can do a few more good things and kind of make my way to the goal line at the other end. But... The reality is that I haven't entered midfield. I've entered at the very base, bottom of the ladder here. And there is no amount of effort that I can put into it that will cover the ground to get me to the other side. I enter under the wrath of God. Paul says in the book of Romans, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I want you to notice, first of all, that God reveals His righteousness. And... In God's righteousness, there is a perfection. Rick Thompson spoke a few weeks ago about God's holiness. It is a perfect righteousness. There is nothing lacking in God's righteousness. He does it right every time. And in that, then he, again, Paul says, not only is righteousness revealed, but God's wrath is revealed. Because in God's wrath being revealed, 
you have to understand that that righteousness that is God, that shows his character, that God reveals wrath against anything that might compromise that character or be contrary to that character of righteousness. Paul describes it very simply as godlessness and wickedness. And it doesn't take a lot of digging to see that all around us. And not just all around us, but inside of us. And so when we think about the wrath of God, we have to understand that God longs for His perfect righteousness to be displayed in all things. Those things that might compromise that receive the wrath of God. And we, by our very nature, have put God's righteousness in compromise. Paul again speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. C.S. Lewis made a kind of remarkable comment in regards to this whole idea of our need for mercy. He said this, If on consideration one can find no faults on one's own side, then cry mercy, for this must be a most dangerous delusion. You see, my ego wants to think that I'm doing okay that there's something meritorious that I can cling to and say, God, didn't you see what I just did? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? I'm looking for the attaboy from God. And that's where I delude myself, is that there's anything that I could do that would ever achieve God's righteousness. Secondly, it's important to remember that as much as the wrath of God covers us all, that we enter this picture all in the same state, we need to understand that God has provided the sacrifice that satisfies both His justice and the penalty for sin, while also rescuing helpless humanity. I was uh, not a Boy Scout growing up, probably in a lot of different metaphorical ways as well, uh, but... I remember the guys that were Boy Scouts. I remember the uniforms. I remember, you know, kind of elementary school. These guys had the, the little tie with a little deal there. But they always had this sash. And on that sash, they had sewn to it these various merit badges. And the merit badges basically showed places of achievement. They showed the sense of I've done something and I've achieved and that has taken me to the next level. I remember going and seeing a, a guy uh, become an Eagle Scout, and he had arrived, so to speak. He had gotten all those merit badges. He had accomplished all these great achievements, and they were really neat. But you see, I think a lot of us enter this life thinking that if we can just get enough merit badges, somehow God's going to be okay with us. 
If we could just do one more good thing, it'll somehow outweigh all the other stuff. What I want to tell you this morning is that we are people desperately in need, not of another merit badge, but of the mercy badge that can only be accomplished by the death of Christ on the cross. That the blood of Christ is that which covers the sash that we wear. It is his sacrifice. It is the thing that the atonement is all about. The Old Testament goes through and speaks of this. So in Leviticus, when it begins to talk about the Ark of the Covenant, and it says that it is covered by this thing called the mercy seat, that in that place of atonement, everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to what Jesus will provide in his sacrifice. So in the book of Exodus... One of the first places you actually see the word mercy come up in the translations is this idea of the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And the mercy seat is that place that God chooses to meet with his people. He considers it his throne. And the word mercy seat is actually more of an interpretation than a translation. The actual word there means covering. And in a sense, what you see is not only is there a covering on the ark, but God by his very presence has chosen to be the covering over all our lives. And that we meet God, we meet God, not at the throne of judgment so much as the throne of mercy. That's how he chooses to identify himself and identify his place of meeting. It's the mercy seat. It's the seat of covering. The Bible makes it very clear that God has satisfied his own justice so that he can provide mercy for the helpless. Isaiah says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus has carried all that was due to us upon himself. The penalty, the sin, all of it is borne on the cross by our Savior. And he has shed his blood. Again, the theme is expressed in Romans chapter 5. Verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The only way that you come out from under the wrath of God is to know the covering that Jesus provides. Theologian Robert Roth says this, in the practice of Judaism, a work is done by man in the hope of changing the heart of man, cleansing him so as to render him acceptable to God. But the Christian revelation in both testaments teaches that God intercedes, providing a sacrifice which changes the wrath of God into the mercy of God. And the sinner into a saint. Mercy is extended to us based on the cross. That is the badge we wear. 
It is there we find the greatest importance. It is there we find the mercy we need. Teresa of, of Avila said this, Fix your eyes on the crucified, and nothing else will be of much importance to you. Fix your eyes on the crucified. Finally, in this whole idea that God provides that salvation, we need to understand that there is no sinner too sinful that God cannot be merciful. Paul says again in, to one of his young pastors, Timothy, he says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul looked at himself and realized that his life was in need of deep mercy and that he came as a sinner before a God who rightly could judge him. Thomas Merton said this, a man becomes a saint not by conviction that he is better than sinners, but by the realization that he is one of them and altogether need the mercy of God. We are a people that God has provided mercy. That the cross is that wonderful place that we can come to and know that blood has been shed to cover our sin. And so that we might receive in abundance the mercy of God. So I want to give you four responses today. Four ways that you can respond to this mercy. The first one is this. We need to have humility before God. Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a publican that went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood in the, off in the distance and he prayed this way. He said, Lord, I am so grateful. I am not like the murderers and the adulterers that are out there. I'm so glad that I'm not like that tax gatherer that's right over there. The tax gatherer, on the other hand, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a great verse in 2 Chronicles 7 that talks about this idea of humility. It says, if my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I then will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Notice that the first thing that God asks for is our humility if they will humble themselves. John Calvin said, the heart cannot be open to receive his mercy unless it be utterly empty of all opinion of its own worth. When it has been occupied with these things, it closes entry to him. You see, the joy of mercy is discovered in the embrace of humility. Mercy is much more difficult to find among those that are arrogant and defensive. This is why the transformation process is so amazing when you come to something like Celebrate Recovery. Tuesday nights, you walk into a room 
full of a group of people that aren't looking around the room saying, boy, oh boy, God, I sure am glad I'm not like anybody else in this room. They have come embracing in humility their own brokenness and their own weakness. It is the very thing that opens up the channels of mercy that God longs to express to them. When we feel entitled and deserving, mercy makes no sense. Mercy is extended to those who recognize their need. The ancient believers had this wonderful thing that they practiced. It was called the Jesus Prayer. It very simply said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, the sinner. And in that prayer, they kept themselves attentive to who they were and who God was. They kept themselves aware of the fact that they enter this life in need of God's mercy. They enter in as sinners in need of a merciful response from God. That prayer was practiced. It was something they said on a regular way. And you know, it's something that I keep trying to do to be reminded again and again of my need for the mercy of God. And it locates me in that place. I've found that simple prayer to be a form that keeps me aware of my need. The need for the Lord in all the aspects of my life. The second thing is not just humility, but surrender to God and His transforming work. Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. One way to read that is, based on the mercies of God, this should be your response. Paul says in Romans that the mercy of God displayed should cause us to surrender our lives to him as our only logical course of action. Yet so often what we find ourselves surrendering to are the vices of this world that keep us enslaved, that have their cruel demands we find ourselves surrendered to our own control, those places that we want to hold on so tightly, and in that we find ourselves more powerless than anything else. Mercy is embodied in Jesus Christ is really a much better master. In Him, we gain life. In Him, we gain love. In Him, we gain power to live. Brennan Manning said that one of the great paradoxes of the gospel is that surrender is victory. The man who loses his life finds it. What makes surrender difficult is our lack of faith, our fears and insecurities, our need to manage our own lives and those of others, our little plans to which we cling so tightly. So I just ask you, what is the thing that you might be holding on to this morning that God longs for you to surrender to Him? 
What is it that you are holding on to that's keeping you from fully experiencing God's mercy? You see, so often we hold on to these things and what they do is they rob us of the peace that God longs for us to have in the presence of His merciful care and compassion. God longs to share with you His mercy. God is merciful. And not only does He want you to respond in humility and surrender, but also that you would respond with mercy toward others. Peter asked Jesus a question. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he followed it up with the standard answer, which was seven times. And Jesus said, seven times, 70 times. And Jesus wasn't asking Peter to get out his calculator and figure out how many times that was so he could go and do that. He was saying, it's more than you've ever thought of. And then he told a parable. And the parable he told was of a master who had a servant And the servant incurred a debt. And the debt was enormous. And in that enormous debt, the servant realized he couldn't pay it. And he came to his master at the time the debt was due and said, I can't pay. And the typical response would have been, throw him into prison until everything's paid. I'm not sure how that works. But that was the response. It pretty much left you with no outs. But this servant pleads with his master. He says, have mercy. And as he pleads with his master, his master has compassion and shows him that mercy and forgives the debt. Now, great story. We love that story. The next part of it isn't so great. Slave goes out and finds somebody that owns him, owes him a very little bit and demands that he pay immediately. And when that servant can't pay, rather than extending the mercy that he has received, what he does is throw him into prison. When the master hears this, it says, Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? You see, the mercy of God is to be a shared experience. God never gave you mercy so that you could store it in a jar, put a lid on it, and shelve it somewhere for a rainy day. God has given you mercy that it might flow into the cup of your life and overflow into the lives of others. That you might be a merciful extension of God's character in this world. You see, one of the ways that the world begins to know that God exists is the way that believers, those that have received the mercy of God, extend that mercy. The way they share that mercy with those around them. We should be ever watching for the many opportunities that God provides for us to be merciful. Sometimes I think we're much more prone to demand our pound of flesh than to extend the mercy that God has extended to us. For those of us who struggle to share mercy you need to get into that place again where you are experiencing God's mercy that He might 
extend that mercy through you. I have uh, three children, and now I have grandchildren. But when my children were growing up, one of the things that we did was we did discipline them at periodic moments. Okay? And we uh, actually spanked our children. Not, not all the time, but every once in a while. Okay? And I don't know how you feel about that kind of thing, but it really doesn't matter. It's too late now. They're older. <laughs> so if you're going to come and lecture me afterwards, please don't. It's done. Okay? And the thing is, is that, you know, when we did that, we used to use, like, this wooden spoon, okay? And so the wooden spoon had this marvelous sense of connotation for them of the discipline, I like to think, of the Lord, okay? And in that, you know, when they would do something wrong, every once in a while we would get to that place where the spoon might come out, Okay? And I remember with my youngest daughter, she had done something repeatedly, and I had extended as much patience as I could. And uh, finally, I came to a place of saying, okay, this is it. And she did it one more time. And I looked at her, and it wasn't, this was over a course of time, so it wasn't like instantly just disobedience. But again, it was something that she knew she was not to do. And I remember going to her and I said, Katie, you need to go into my bedroom. Well, she knew this was not good. She was five, and immediately she just burst into tears. Oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. Oh, but I won't do it I let that go on for a while. (laughs) And I had the spoon, and I sat in this chair in front of her in my bedroom, and I I looked at Katie, and she was just weeping, and and I said, Katie, do you know what the spoon is for? And I looked at her and I said, no, it's for stirring. (laughs) And there was just shock in that moment. And then she began to laugh. And I began to laugh with her. Because in that moment, mercy had been extended and joy had been produced. And we have such a great opportunity to walk in this world as vehicles of God's mercy, extending to those around us the mercy of God in a way that just reminds them that there is a God that is merciful. I hope that you understand what it means to share that mercy. The last thing is not only the sense of humility and surrender and sharing that mercy with others, but that we would respond with glory and gratitude to God. Back in that 1 Timothy 1 passage where Paul is describing a little bit of himself, he begins in verse 12 by saying this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. 
I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What I want you to notice in this passage is that it begins with a sense of thankfulness. Paul says, I thank my God. Right out of the gate, Paul is grateful. And then it ends with this sense of giving glory to God. The immortal, eternal king. And right located in the center is God's mercy. And right located in the center of each one of our lives, God longs to pour in His mercy that we would be responders. Responders with great gratefulness that we would be responders with great praise. Giving glory to God for this sense of mercy that was undeserved. That we didn't do anything. And in fact, we deserved something different. And God gave us better. This mercy should draw us to places of thanksgiving and praise. In 1966, my father uh, purchased a new car. He purchased an XKE Jaguar, and uh, it was an amazing car. I was in junior high, and I loved it when my dad would offer to take me to school. And we'd drive up, and he'd pull up to the curb and I'd see my friends outside that window and I'd get out of the car and they'd all go, whoa, the Jag. And I'd go, yeah. <laughs> and I'd walk to class just with the aura of cool that came from the car. And I remember when I got my driver's license and I was, uh, we'd, every once in a while my dad would take us out on just for a drive. When you have a car like that, going out for a drive sounds like a really good thing. And so he'd take me out for a drive, we'd talk and different things like that, and it was incredible. The car was incredible. And I remember the day that he drove off one of the off-ramps and uh, pulled over to the side and he said, uh, looked at me and he said, would you like to drive? And I just thought, man, oh man, this is his baby. And I thought, whoa, and I... Those thoughts were all of about a second. And I said, yeah. And I remember getting behind the wheel of that car and driving up the on-ramp and being completely nervous. This was my dad's car. It was a special car. It was a fast car. I was also nervous about all the highway patrolmen that might be coming by. But I'll tell you, it was an experience. And I remember going to my friends and saying, you know, I went out in the Jaguar today. And they said, yeah, I know, okay. And I said, no, I drove it. And my friends all went, whoa. I said, yeah. 
It was just cool. I was a senior in high school, and my, uh, I was invited to, by a girl to go to one of these girl-ass-guy dances, and I would never go to these things on my own. It took something larger to push me into those places. I'm not much of a dancer. Uh, challenged, you might say, in that regard. And so I was getting ready to go, and it was one of these formal events, you know, tuxedo, the whole shot. And I was going out to my car, which was in Austin, America. We described it as a tin can on wheels. <laughs> and as I was getting into my car, my dad called from the porch of our house, and he said, John, can I talk to you for a moment? And I came up to him, and I said, yeah. And he said, would you like to take the Jag? Well, that took me less time to think about and I said, by all means. And I took the keys from him before he changed his mind. And I got into the Jaguar and I drove off to this girl's house. And I pulled up at the curb, got out. She came to the door. She came outside. She looked. She said, you brought the Jag. I said, yeah. <laughs> we drove to the dance. We stayed about five minutes. I said, are you bored yet? I'm bored. Would you like to go for a drive? And I'm sure she thought I was taking her someplace to park. But who parks when you have a Jaguar? <laughs> Seriously. No way. We went out on the road, and it was incredible. And I realized why women in satin dresses don't do well on leather seats. Because when I accelerated, she kind of slid right <laughs> under the front there. I mean, we came home after that dance, and my dad just asked me, he says, well, how was the Jag? I said, Dad, it was incredible. Thank you so much. What a gift. Over the course of time, my dad had three different Jaguars, XKs. The last one he had was a V12 Jaguar. It was like a jet, okay? You'd start the engine up, and if you were standing behind it, your, wind, your hair would blow in the wind, you know, just... And, and it was incredible. And... Uh, I was in college, and I came home for Christmas break, and my dad had gotten me two tickets to go to the Rose Bowl uh, football game. And I was dating a girl in Santa Barbara, and I was living in the Pasadena area, and he said, uh, John, you, would you like to bring your girl to this game? And I said, I'd love to. And my whole family was kind of going. It was going to be kind of a neat thing on New Year's Day. And uh, so I went out the day I was going to go pick her up, and I went out to my Austin America, and uh, all of a sudden, there was a voice from the porch. John, can I talk to you for a minute? And I went, sure. And I went up to my dad and he said, would you like to take the J? Yeah. And I was thinking, a hundred miles up there and a hundred miles back. Whoa. And so I got in the car and I drove, windows down, stereo on. I mean, it was incredible. And at that time, Highway 101 up to Santa Barbara was just great. Turns, the whole shot. It was, it was a great drive. I got to the girl's house. I got out. She came out. She looked. She said, oh, you brought the Jag. I said, yeah. <laughs> she got in the car. We drove down to Southern California. And as we got there, I thought, you know, I just don't want to give up the car yet. And so I said, would you like to go to the beach? And she said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And so I drove down to Newport Beach, and, uh, you know, it had been a great time. And uh, we were stopped at a light, and it was a little bit romantic. And so I leaned across the console to give her a little kiss. 
And as I did so, my right foot slowly, just very gently, slipped off the brake, and I began to roll into the semi-truck in front of me. And uh, just as it rolled into that, you know, kind of pickup type of thing, and I looked at it, and all of a sudden there was a sound. And I, and I came up like a shot. I'm sure she thought this was the weirdest thing ever. And I came up, and I, every emotion I had went dark at that moment. And I just went, oh, my. And the guy in the truck kind of said, you know, over to the side, let's go look. And we got out of the cars, and he got out of his truck, and he came back and looked at the back of his truck. He said, uh, well, my truck looks okay. And then he looked at the Jag and he said, it's too bad about your car. Because your car looks a little different now. That beautiful, sleek front end of the Jaguar XKE now looked like an accordion. And as I sat there, I was just stunned and I got back in the car and I was kind of panicked and I thought, I got to call my dad. And I, so I found a phone and I called my dad and uh, my mom answered I need to talk to dad. <laughs> she got off the phone. My dad came to the phone, and I, I said, uh, hi, dad. And uh, his first question was, how's the jag? <laughs> it's funny you ask. <laughs> I said, uh, there's been a little accident, and it was just silent on the other end of the phone. Seriously, I thought he was reaching through the receiver to grab me and pull me back to where he was. And all of a sudden, he spoke up and he said, well, I know you're with your girlfriend right now and we'll talk about this later. And I looked at the girl when I got back in the car and I said, I got to go home. I, you know, I got to go home. So we drove home and I got out of the car, gave the keys to my dad, and I looked at him, and he said, I know you're with this girl, and, you know, we'll talk about this later. Just, you know, enjoy the time with the girl. Well, every day, from about the day after Christmas through New Year's, I was uh, kind of waiting for that conversation to happen. And uh, every day went by and there was no conversation. The car left, the car came back all fixed, looked beautiful. And I kept thinking that, you know, in the morning I'd wake up and there'd be a little bill on my pillow. <laughs> there wasn't. It came to the day that I was leaving to go back to school. And as I went out to my Austin America, I kept thinking, okay, he hasn't said anything. I could make it through this without that very awkward conversation. And I was getting into my car, the wonderful Austin America. And as I was getting in, I heard a voice from the porch. And my dad said, John, can we talk for a moment? And I thought, this man is incredibly cruel. He let this hang over me all week, and now he's going to talk to me about it. 
I walked up the porch. I could not look him in the eye. And he held out his hand and he said, would you like to take the jacket? And you see, every day of our lives, God stands with the keys of life, longing to share with us His mercy, His kindness. And for a lot of us, we've been unwilling to come up those steps and just Receive what he has. God is merciful. And this morning, he longs for you to come into that place where he can share that mercy with you. I want to pray. And there may be somebody here this morning that is in desperate need of that mercy. Maybe you have never asked Jesus into your life and received all that rich mercy that God extends to you. Maybe you've held Him at a distance. And I want to give you a chance just to pray in your heart that Jesus might come in, forgive your sins, and share that mercy with you. And if that's something you want to do, I'm going to pray now, and I'm just going to ask you to pray very simply, Lord Jesus... I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I need your mercy today. Would you be my Savior? And just pray that and, and I know the Lord will know your heart. Father, I pray right now that if there is anyone in this room that that prayer makes sense for, that you would have them pray it. Lord, you extend to us your hand of mercy with the keys of life. May we not reject it. May we receive what we don't deserve. May we receive more and better than we do deserve. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed this morning and asked Jesus into your life, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want to ask you to go to the altar and just let somebody know. Tell them what you've done. Part of the gospel is the fact that we get to share and witness to the work that God is doing in us. And maybe uh, you've just come this morning and you have a relationship with the Lord, but you just need to know and remember His mercy again. And there are people that would love to pray for you in the altar this morning. And so I'm going to ask you just to do that. This morning is a great morning to walk out of this place knowing that God is merciful. Go with God this morning. Amen.